doxology, benediction, and prayer. Is that it? Okay. Well, what did you learn about them? Okay, that's all right. That's all right. You're close, and, and that's the way you learn it. Listen, these are not terms that you're going to hear one time and you're going to remember for the rest of your life. These are terms that you are going to need to hear, hear the definition, the meaning of them, hear it again, hear the definition, the meaning of them. You're going to have to see examples of it so that when you read the Scripture, you can point out and say, hey, there's a benediction. Or you can point out and say, hey, there's a doxology. And I really want to drive the point home tonight about how the two usually kind of uh, uh, coincide together. Uh, a lot of times in a benediction, you will see a doxology as a result of uh, at the end of it. And so uh, very quickly, is there anybody else that can give me a definition of a benediction? Yes, sir. There you go. Okay, so God's blessings being spoken over the people. Somebody give me an example of a benediction from the Bible. Okay, there you go. Somebody give me another one. What would you say is the most famous example of benedictions? Huh? No. Numbers chapter 6, the priestly blessing. There you go. So um, <clears throat> the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And that was a command that God spoke to the priests and He said, this is how you shall bless my people. And you can find that in Numbers chapter 6. But what we get in that is it's a benediction that was given to say, uh, at that time it was the priest. At this time, I guess you could say it's the pastors. But the truth of the matter is, we are all a holy priesthood now. Alright? And so the truth of the matter is, we all have authority to speak the blessing of God over each other's life. Now, a benediction is not the same as this, as this word of faith movement that we have today to where they say, just speak it and it'll be. No, that's not true. Um, it, the, a benediction is just declaring what God has already declared to be on His people, and we just simply bless the people of God by saying, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. And all of those things were things that God Himself promised that He would do for His people and then He commanded the priests to speak it over them. So there are a lot of your um, uh, epistles in the New Testament that will usually end with a benediction. And, and so we're gonna, we could look at a couple of them, but I think y'all did last week, so I'm not, we're going to look at the one at the end of Hebrews just to be able to see that. But what I want to get across to you tonight is the doxology. Now, what is a doxology? If a benediction is speaking God's blessing over the people, spoken words of God's blessing over the people, then what is a doxology? Go ahead. There you go. So here's how you could break it down where we get this from. Doxology comes from two Greek words, alright? The first part of it is doxa, D-O-X-A, doxa. That Greek word just simply means glory, splendor, or grandeur. So glory, splendor, or grandeur is doxa. And then you have the second Greek word, ology. Ology is a Greek word that means spoken words about something. So when you put the two together, what you have is doxology. And what you have are spoken words of praise or glory or grandeur. So anywhere you see spoken words of 
praise, glory, or grandeur, you have a doxology being spoken directly to God. Now here's what I want you to learn tonight. The only way you will ever have true doxology, true doxology, I'm talking about spoken words of praise to God, and it is being spoken in truth. The only way you have that is first you have to have good theology. Now let's break that word down. Does anybody know what the Greek word theos stands for? Huh? God. Theos is a Greek word for God. What did I say ology is a Greek word for? Spoken words about. So basically theology is the study of the spoken words about God. And so theology is where we get into the Word and we learn about God. You could Some people just shorten it to say theology is defined as the study of God. Any, anything that you, um, you are studying theology in, it is a study of something about God. All right? Now I'm gonna, I want you to understand, you'll see here in just a minute, don't let me lose you on Greek terms and all this, I just want you to understand where the words come from, okay? And so the only way you ever have true spoken words of true praise and glory to God, because the only way to praise God is in what? Those who worship Him must worship Him in? And so here's the thing about it. You can't truly worship God unless you are speaking truth about Him, right? How are you going to know what is true about God? Does anybody know God? There you go. So the only way you can ever have true doxology is when you have true theology. So what happens is we have a study about God. And as we learn about God and His ways and what He does, guess what that results in? Doxology. And so this is what happens in the epistles. Whenever you get to the end of an epistle, a lot of times you're going to have a benediction, which is a spoken word of blessing over the people that they were writing to. And you're going to end the epistle with a doxology. Because... What are the epistles about? They're theology. The entire epistle is about here's who God is, here's what God requires, here's how you have fallen short of it, but here's what God has done for you. This is who He is, this is how He operates, this is what He does, and the more you learn about God throughout this study, it leads you to the end to doxology, spoken words of glory, splendor, and grandeur about who He is. And so we're going to see that. You know, there's so many people today that say, I don't need theology. I don't need doctrine. Just give me Jesus. Here's the problem with that. You don't know how to praise Him in spirit and truth if you don't study who He is. And the more you learn about who He is, about what He does, about how He does it, and the more you learn about that, That's where true praise comes from. Praise is not coming in here on Sunday morning and singing a song. But it could be if you come in here on Sunday morning and you recognize the truth of that song because you learned it from from God. The truth of the matter is in today's worship services, we're actually backwards. The way a worship service used to go and still should go today is we come in and we study about God first, and then guess what that should lead you to? We're backwards. We come in here today and we take songs, or not, not us necessarily, but in today's Christian culture, we take songs that were written by 18 and 19 year old kids that don't know anything about theology but just their emotions and they say, well, this is what God means to me. Guess what? I don't care what God means to you. God is who He is. And so 
We should be coming in here and taking the truth about God that we have learned from Him in His Word and that ought to overflow out of us as we learn about Him to say, Wow, look at the glory, the grandeur, the, uh, look at the splendor of this God that we serve. And that is the way that it should go. So now let's look at Hebrews chapter 13 since we're closing this out. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Epistle is a, is a letter to the church. And so basically the epistles would be Galatians, Ephesians, uh, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians. Uh, yeah, all of those were letters to churches. And so that's an epistle is, all, is what that is. Alright, so Hebrews chapter 13, look at verse 20. Now keep in mind, Paul has just unloaded... I mean, we've studied Hebrews together, right? Paul has... Or I say Paul. I, st I still tend to believe that Paul is the author, but we don't know that for certain. Um, uh, so anyway, whoever the author of Hebrews is, he has unloaded a mountain of evidence about who God is in the person of Jesus Christ. About what it means to follow Him and to, to have your hope and your confidence in His promises and about how faithful He is and trustworthy He is. And this mountain of theology has been unloaded into Hebrews and then He comes to the end of it and this is the way He ends it. First, with a benediction. In verse 20, Now may the God of peace, so here he's saying, he's just speaking the blessing of God over these people. Now may the, may the God of peace, and now he's just going to tell you a few things about this God of peace. All right. The first thing is, He brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. So He's the giver of life, right? He is the one in whom life resides. The next thing, he is the great shepherd of the sheep. He's also a person who guides the ones that He gives life to, right? How many of you are thankful that God didn't just give you life and then step back and say, okay, you're on your own? But He gives you guidance. And so He is the great shepherd of the sheep. And it is by the blood of the eternal covenant so there he just plainly talks about the redemption that he has bought for you through the blood of the eternal covenant. That's important. And so here's where this blessing is spoken in verse 21. So may this God equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ. So let's stop right there because we're fixing to get into doxology. Alright? So the first thing, I, I don't know if that's God or not, but if it is, He'll let us know, okay? So the, the, the first thing is, in this benediction right here, we simply see Paul, um, the author here asking and speaking the blessing of God, saying, here's what God is going to do. I'm speaking over you. He's going to equip you with everything good that you may do His will. Now what was the problem with this Hebrew church? What were they doing? Getting lazy, getting sluggish, droopy hands, not running the race with endurance, right? Not fighting sin the way they were. So He just comes in here very plainly and He speaks this blessing over them and He says, hey, may God... May this God, who is a God of peace, God of life, a God of guidance, a God of, the, of redemption, may He equip you with everything good that you may do His will. So this blessing that's being spoken is plain this. Does God want you to do His will? So the only thing this author is doing is speaking a blessing over the people saying, God, if you truly belong to Him, and if you are under the eternal blood of the covenant, and if you are His sheep in which He shepherds, and if you are in peace relationship with God, y'all see what He's doing? If those things are true about you, guess what He's going to do? He's going to equip you. Equip you to do what? To do His will. To finish the race to get in the race, to lift up your drooping hands, to strengthen your weak knees, to get back at it. 
And so the benediction is just speaking what God is going to do for you. And he says it, that here's, what it is, here's how he's going to do it. By working in us. Y'all see that? See, here's, here's the thing that Paul always understood. Paul understood that the only reason he was able to do anything was because of the grace of God in him. Could Paul, did he ever take credit for anything in him? He said, I am what I am by the grace of God. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. I'm not even worthy to be a Christian because I'm the chiefest of sinners. Yet by the grace of God, I am what I am. And what we see here is another example of understanding that the way God is going to equip us is because He is working in us. He's working in me. It's not me. Let me tell you something. If it's up to me to finish this race on my own, I'm not going to make it. That's just the truth. If it's up to me, this sinner, he ain't going to make it. Because my default is sin after sin after sin after sin. But I have something else working in me that is equipping me to do His will and to do that which is pleasing in His sight. And it is through Jesus Christ. Through following Jesus Christ. And now... This leads Paul into true doxology. So think about this for a minute. Paul has now, or I keep saying Paul, mm, y'all forgive me. The author has just unloaded an entire book about God is going to finish what He started. He is going to equip you if you are truly His sheep, if you are truly under the blood of His covenant, if you are truly at peace with Him, He is going to equip you and He is going to work in you to do that which is pleasing in His sight. And Paul looks at this knowing who he is, or the author looks at this knowing who he is, and here's where it leads him to praise, to speak words of praise. And so he ends with a doxology and he says, To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so again, here's what I'm, I'm, we're going to look at different scriptures tonight, but I want you to understand that when you get to the end of letters, or even if you just get to the end of, of, uh, of an author building up theology about God, a lot of times they're building this mountain about who God is. And they finally reach a point that they are so in awe of who God is that they just have to stop and say, to Him belongs glory forever and ever. Amen. And that is doxology. And that's where true worship comes from. True worship doesn't come from just coming in here and voices blending together or musicians playing real good together. And how many times do we leave a worship service and the band was fantastic. And the singing was great. And we walk out of here and what do we say? What do you say? Boy, the Spirit was thick in that place. Right? And the truth of the matter is, 90% of the time, it was just because you were stirred up emotionally in some way. Now, I'm not saying that emotion has nothing to do with it, because it does. But it is always led by the truth about who God is, first and foremost. And then as that truth is spoken, it spills out of us in spirit and truth, in true doxology. And that's what happens whenever you read in the Bible and you see a benediction or you see a, a doxology of any kind. It is this mountain of theology that has been built and then Paul finally reaches a point to where he just explodes in doxology and says, i got to have a praise break, if you will. And he stops and he just starts to give God praise. So let's look at a few examples of that to see what I'm talking about. Um, Go with me to uh, Romans chapter 11. 
Now, how many of you remember what Romans chapter 9 through 11 is about? It's a very, very controversial doctrine. Chapters 9 through 11 is about the doctrine of God's election. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Remember that? And so chapter 9 through 11 is about how God is dealing with His chosen people and who the true Israel is. Y'all remember that lesson? All right? And so he builds this mountain of evidence about how God deals with His chosen people and how God loves who He loves and hates who He hates and has mercy on whomever He wills and hardens whomever He wills, right? And then when Paul finally builds this mountain of evidence... Now remember, Romans chapter 1 through 8 have been about the gospel and about how we have all fallen short and how we're justified by faith in the gospel and um, how the promises of God that are given to people in Him in Romans chapter 8. And so we have this... This whole Romans chapter 1 through 11 of, of just theology. This is the study of God and who God is and what He requires and what He does. And then you finally, Paul builds this mountain up to such a point that finally in Romans chapter 11 starting in verse 33, we get into a doxology. And I want you to notice what happens here in Romans chapter 11, verse 32. I'm sorry, verse 33. Paul just stops his theology and look at what he says. Oh, the depths of the... Ri-. Now notice, what is, what, is it, what is typically going on in you when you say, Oh, in other words, this is just something splendorous, right? Oh, I mean, this is amazing. And he builds this mountain of theology about God and he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable, in other words, impossible to understand. Because remember, how many of you understand that when he comes out of this thing and he's just said, Hey guys, Uh, Jacob he loved and Esau he hated before they were ever born. And Moses he had mercy on and Pharaoh he hardened. And he has vessels of honor and he has vessels of dishonor. And he just lays out all of this theology about God. And then how many of you know that at the end of it there are a lot of minds that are going, man, I just really don't, don't get how he does and why he does and... I just don't get his ways. And so Paul comes to the end of all of this doctrine and theology about God and he says, Oh, the wisdom of God, the depth, the depth of His riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how impossible to understand are His ways. And then he quotes some scripture in this doxology. He says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? What does a counselor do? Anybody ever been God's counselor? God ever came to anybody and said, I just don't really know what to do. And that's what Paul is getting at here. All this mountain of evidence has been built about who God is and about how God does what He does. And it leads Paul to just have to stop and go, Oh my goodness, y'all. How amazing is this God that we serve? That is worship in spirit and truth. True doxology will only come from true theology. Are y'all tracking with me? Don't don't look at this as some uh, Greek uh, school of um, seminary up here tonight. It's pretty simple. If you're truly going to praise God for who He is, the only way you're going to do it is with a good study about who He is. And it will always lead you to doxology. And so, who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen.
So again, here's, my, here's what I want to drive home tonight for you. When you're reading, I want you to understand the emotion that Paul is feeling when you get to a point like this. I don't want you to just read it and go, okay, well, to God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay. I want you to read this thing and understand that Paul has just unleashed some truths about God that have led him to stop and go, y'all, we got to praise him. <laughs> we got to praise him for who he is right now. And that is the way that you are going to be led into true worship. When you read the truths about who God is, not just the way that He makes you feel and gives you the warm and fuzzies. You walk in there and people say, man, I got, I got spirit bumps. You know what? A lot of times somebody can play the piano just right and give me spirit bumps. Now that ain't to say that a truth about God won't give you spirit bumps. But I'm telling you the difference between the Spirit of God being thick in that place and you actually worshiping in spirit and in truth. Because God has opened your eyes to something about who He is. And now you stand back and all you can say is, To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Yes, sir. You will never forget a meeting when the Holy Spirit shows up and takes over the service. We were having a deacon meeting one night and we went to the altar just to pray. I don't know what we did differently, but we didn't have a deacon meeting that night. wonderful experience other than the time that I received Jesus Christ I think I've ever had in my spiritual walk with God. Amen. And, and I, I would dare say and Candy, my youngest daughter I would talk about this a lot about the young children. How many or maybe people 75 how many has really ever felt this the actual spirit of God in a sense that all you can do is just hold your hands up and cry. Right. I will never forget that thing. And and but and let me say this, because you're making my point here. What is it that leads you to hold your hands up and cry? There you go. So a truth about God, an a, a eye-opening experience about who He is and who I am, what He has done for me, how He loves me, the grace that He gives me, the mercy that He gives me, all those things absolutely will lead you into true doxology. But it has to be from, and again, here's where I get, it has to be from us not just praising God for who we want Him to be or who we think He is, um, but praising Him for everything about Him. Praising Him about His wrath, His holiness on sin, His, um, his, his perfect judgment. You know, here Paul is, here Paul is uh, led into doxology about His judgments and how perfect they are uh, in choosing who He chooses. And, and, and so... What we see in this is that no matter what it is about God, the more we learn about Him, the more it opens our eyes to who He is, and it always leads us to doxology. I'll give you another example of it. Go to Isaiah chapter 6. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and I'll give you examples of that here in just a minute. Here in just a minute. Let's just go through a few uh, things that, that um, um, leads to doxology or what do, where doxology comes from. <coughs> Excuse me. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. Basically, this is the vision that... Um, Isaiah had about the Lord sitting on his throne in the temple. All right? 
And on each side of the throne was what? Y'all remember? <coughs> Thank you. On each side of the throne was what? All right. And so they were on each side of the throne, and they are the burning ones. And they have six wings. With two they fly, with two they cover their feet, with two they cover their face. All right? But while they're flying, what are they saying? Now I want you to notice in verse 3 it says, And one called to the other. That word call actually comes from a Hebrew word that means to cry or to make a proclamation. And so they are literally screaming this to one another, crying it to each other. And here's what they say back and forth to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. This is their doxology. This is the angel's doxology. And it is actually coming out of seeing God's perfections on display. Now what I mean by that... Thank you. Glory is this. Let's look at it again. <clears throat> holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. What are they looking at when they see His glory? What does it say? Okay. So they're looking at all of creation, correct? And when they look at God's creation, it leads them to say, He is holy. Just look at the earth. The whole place is filled with His glory. So here's what we can understand is the glory of God. The glory of God is God's perfections put on display. So in other words, whenever you look at God and something He puts on display, you see His glory. So when the angels look at all of creation, and remember, what was creation? Man was made in what? In God's image. The whole point of it is this. When you stand and look at the majesty and the splendor of God, the whole point of you, I've said this to you before, who likes to go to the beach? What do you do usually when you first get to the beach and you stand and you look at the ocean? What is it that goes through your mind or your heart? <laughs> there you go what if you hung a 250 pound marlin and it's coming in then what are you thinking wow that's right and so the, the, the point of it is this all of his creation is God's perfections put on display God's power, God's beauty God's magnificence everything about God the whole point of the Grand Canyon is for you to stand in front of it and do what? The whole point of it is that you look at God's display, however He puts it on, and you look at Him and go, wow, how amazing is God. Well, the angels are standing back and they're looking at what? All of it. And as they look at all of God's perfections put on display, the only thing that they can do is be led into doxology. And it leads them to say three, three words. What are they? What does holy mean? Holy means to be set apart from everything. Without sin is a one definition of it. But the reason why you can say without sin is because it is completely set apart from anything else. Is there anything else in this world besides God that is without sin? That's why God is holy, because He is in a category all by Himself. Whenever Moses was standing in front of the, uh, in front of the, the uh, burning bush, what did God tell him to do? By the shoes. Why? Was that ground, as far as the ground goes, any different? Was it better soil? Is that what made it holy? Why was it that God said this is holy ground? 
because God had set that ground apart from all other ground for His purpose. Moses, take your shoes off. That's holy ground. There's not ground like it because I have set it apart for this purpose. And so holy means to be completely set apart, to be in a league of your own. And when the angels looked at the the splendor of God in His creation, the majesty of God, they saw truths about God. They saw God is powerful. Look at those waves. God is beautiful. Look at all of that. God is, God is amazing. And they saw all of God's perfections on display. And the more they looked at it and the more they saw, the more doxology rose up in them. And the only thing they could say was, holy, holy, holy. In other words, there is no one like Him. To whom will you compare Him? There is, he's in a league of His own. And so doxology always comes from viewing a truth about God. In this case, it is, it is from seeing God's perfection on display in part of creation. And so when you stand in front of the Grand, Grand Canyon, guess what ought to come from you? Doxology. When you stand on the beach in front of the ocean, guess what ought to come from you? Doxology. You are in the mountains. You're looking at the snow on the covered hills. You um, are looking at your newborn baby or your grandchild. You look into the eyes of life. Guess what ought to come from you? Doxology. Praise ought to come from you because you see God in some way that amazes you and leads you into this. Um, and that's the reason why I can't take you to all of these for the sake of time tonight. But you remember whenever um, the, uh, the angels came to the shepherds in the field to announce the birth of Christ? They said, hey, I got good news for you. On this day in the city of David, there's been a Savior born, a baby in a manger. You're going to go and you're going to find Him wrapped in swaddling clothes. And then they break out into a doxology. Uh, let's look at it. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. As they see what God has done for man, as He sent His only begotten Son to be born to men, in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, through 15, uh, through 14. Let's look and see where it leads to their doxology. And I'm hoping as we do this, you're going to be able to recognize doxologies and you're going to stop when you study these and you're going to try to figure out what is it that these angels saw about God that led them to this praise in spirit and in truth. So let's read it. Luke chapter 2 verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, and here's your doxology, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. What did the angels see and hear in this message that led them to praise God? Savior is born. To who? And who are people? Sinners. You're talking about angels here, especially these angels, that have never been tainted by sin. They see God in His holiness and they can't imagine how in the world. What did God do to the other angels that sinned against Him? And yet, what does He do for you? He gives you His Son. And the angels come down and say, 
Sinners, I've got some good news for you. You don't need to fear because i got good news of great joy for you. This day, a Savior has been born. And after they give the news, the whole multitude comes around this one angel giving the message. And they all together exclaim a doxology that says, Glory to God in the highest. In other words, His grace has just been put on display. Glory to God in the highest. And what else? On earth, peace among those with whom... He is pleased. So there, again, what you see is that it was truth about God that leads the angels to worship. They don't just gather together. I know so many people think we're going to get to heaven and everybody's going to get in the choir and have their song book and we're just going to sing songs from the hymnal. Wrong. You won't need a book. You will see Him face to face. And let me tell you what will come from you. Doxology. Doxology will come from you. Let's look at some more. How about it? I got plenty. Uh, so since we got time, go to um, uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 25 through 27. I'm just going to pick out the highlights. Romans chapter 16 is the very last book in Romans, or very last chapter in Romans, I'm sorry. And I told you in the epistles, a lot of times they end with a benediction and a, and a doxology in some way, correct? So <clears throat> here we get to see, and, and if you have a Bible that actually puts a title above verse 25, what does your title say? <laughs> Thank you. All right. So let's look at, and, and, and we're going to find, I want you to tell me where doxology comes from in this. Alright, verse 25. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now this one's a little difficult, so I'm just curious of what you can come up with. Where does this doxology come from? What does Paul recognize that God um, does, or a truth about God, that leads Him to praise. What? Okay. Amen. The, the, so the gospel being revealed. See, for years it was a mystery. They knew a Messiah was coming. But they didn't know the details of this thing. They only knew prophecies about it, but it was a mystery. It was not revealed yet. But now Paul says, it's been revealed. And so, what does that first part of verse 25 say? Now to him what? Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ and the revelation of the mystery. Go back to Romans chapter 1 and let's see why Paul wrote this letter. What Paul was wanting to do. Romans chapter 1, we'll just start in verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised. What did he promise? In the text. Don't, don't tell me what you think. Look at the text. No, back up. Paul was called to be an apostle, set apart for what? The gospel, which he what? 
So what did he promise? There you go. All right, so this letter is about the gospel that he promised. And he promised it when? Through who? Where? And what is the gospel about? And who is his son? Now, nah, keep reading. Come on, y'all was doing great until that point. <laughs> huh? All right. And, who, and he's descended from David how? All right. And um, what was he declared to be? All right. In power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have what? We've received grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they received apostleship. Why? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now, so that's what the first six verses are about. Paul says, this is what my letter is about. And what's it about? The gospel. The gospel. So this letter, when you read Romans, you can look and say, what is Romans about? The gospel. The gospel of what? There you go. All right. Now, verse 7, what do we see? This is written to. So now we get to see who it's written to. All right. Now go over to verse 8. First, so the first thing I want to do, I want to thank God for all of you. And then, verse 9. Because God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking you that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So what does He want to do? Alright, alright, keep going with me. Verse 11. Why? Why does He want to come see Him? To do what? Alright. Alright. So Paul wants to preach the gospel to them, right? I want to share the gospel with you. Why do and, and I don't just want to do it in letter. I want to come to you to preach the gospel to you. You know why I want to do that? What did Jesus say? To, and, and what is that spiritual gift going to do for them? Strengthen them. Go back to Romans chapter 16 and look how he ends it. All right? Y'all seeing it, ain't you? Now to Him, who is what? To do what? According to what? (laughs) And the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation, that's exactly what He done through all of Romans. All of Romans, you could retitle it to say, the revelation of the gospel. That's what Romans is about. Alright? So according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings, or through the... Remember what he said at the beginning, Romans chapter 1? He said that the gospel was according to the Scriptures. Alright? And so here he says, "...through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God." Why? to bring about the obedience of faith. And again, you can go back and read Romans 1, and he said that too. And then finally, after he has preached the gospel, after he has unleashed all these truths about the good news of Jesus Christ, who He is, what He has done for you, and how God saves you through it, all of this finally explodes to where Paul ends the letter with doxology. And here's all he can say in verse 27. To the only, what? Wise God. This thing's been a mystery for ages and ages. He gave it through the Scriptures. He prophesied about this thing. And now here we are on this side of it looking back at everything God was doing through Israel, bringing up to this moment. And what's the only word, the truth about God, that can lead us to doxology when when we look at that? God is what? Wise. 
And so to the only wise God be what? Glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Are y'all getting it? Are you seeing it? Alright. Can we look at one more? This will be the end of it. Alright. Go to Revelations chapter 5. This is one of the greatest doxologies that you'll ever see. And one of the things you'll see is that doxology is actually contagious. What does it mean when something's contagious? There you go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Alright, Revelations chapter 5. Let's notice what happens. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, and it was sealed with seven seals. Now in this day and time, in this culture, you had uh, title deeds that were... Um, that were signed and they were saying this land belongs to this and this and this and they were rolled up and they were sealed. And the only one that had a right to open up the deed to whatever it was was the one in whom it was going to, right? The one that was to inherit this. The one who was worthy to own this. may have been the son of the landowner or it may have been the person that, that bought it. They would give them a deed, seal it. It was theirs and no one could take it from them. So this one is sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Now what you have here, without me taking you back to Jeremiah and showing you this, basically you have the title deed to the earth. Who has the right to lay claim of ownership, lordship, kingship, authority, over all creation? That's the question. Who is worthy? Alright? Now, keep going with me. <clears throat> Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Because guess what? If there is no one to lay claim to kingship, to, to this creation, to lord over it, to rule it, to have dominion over it, what hope do we have? <laughs> Alright, so keep going. He's weeping. Verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he's conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. In other words, he, because of his conquering, he is worthy to lay claim to the kingship, the dominion over all creation. And verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, What are they going to... Well, here's doxology, guys. Now remember, what is the truth that they have just seen about Jesus? And why is He worthy? What did He do? He conquered. He conquered. What did He conquer? There you go. Alright, so here's what they sing. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. And here's why. For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign where? They're going to reign with Him on earth. And the reason why they're able to sing this praise to Him, worthy, 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 
is because he conquered. How did he conquer? He was slain. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He was slain. He ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. He made them a kingdom and priests to God. And they're going to reign with Him. Now verse 11. We're going to see that it's contagious. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of what? So it starts out with just the, um, the living creatures and the elders. They have been led to doxology. But then as they proclaim the truth about God, and what was the truth about them? You were slain, you ransomed people from God from every tribe and nation. As the truth of God is spoken and it's preached in doxology, now the angels come around and here's what they say in verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. It's almost quitting time. To receive power, wealth, wisdom, and might, honor, glory, and blessing. All right, <clears throat> I'm done. <laughs> Here's my question to you Do you see what doxology is? Do you see where doxology comes from? Don't get caught up into the emotionalism of worship that is not in spirit and worship that is not in truth. The only true doxology will always come from the truth of who we see He is in the gospel, of who we see He is in ransoming people, and the good news of salvation to all people, and the peace that He brings with God, in the creation that we look at, and all we can see is His beauty, His magnificence, His glory. Those are things that will lead you to worship in spirit and in truth. That's what doxology is. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. i got to finish this and we're, we're closing it out. <clears throat> Let's just read it and we'll be done. Hebrews 13. This is the end of it. And there are other doxologies in the Bible. Uh, many, many doxologies. Uh, but you, you, hopefully you'll be able to pick them out from here. So let's read Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 to the end. It will be closed. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. To those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Amen. Alright. So any questions tonight? Everybody know what a benediction is? Speaking the blessing of God over the people of God, right? Everybody knows what a doxology is. The truth of God that leads you to speak words of praise in spirit and truth about Him. Alright, well thank you all so much for your time and attention. If I confuse you on anything, come holler at me after, uh, after this is over and I'll try to, try to fix it, whatever it is. It is good stuff. I love it. I love it. All right. Who wants to pray? And, huh? <laughs> you just want to start over and go through it again? Yeah. Where, where do y'all want to go next? Does anybody have a suggestion? Revelation. <laughs> I knew. I knew. And I hadn't finished Revelations. If I do do that, we'll pick up where I left off and I'll just recap very quickly up to, I think Revelations 13 is where we're ready to start at. But, um, I mean, that would be a good one to do on Wednesday night more than, more than Sunday morning. But I thought about going back through the Psalms, actually, and spending some time because we've spent a lot of time looking at how to study the New Testament, how to find the purpose of it and... But you haven't seen that in how to go to the Old Testament and do it. And different genres, um, whether you're talking about a, a, 
um, wisdom literature, poetic uh, <coughs> literature, or um, historical narratives, um, different genres are a little different in the way you approach how you study them. And so, um, uh, yeah, yeah, but if you have a preference, you know, come, come to me and we'll see if we can, we can go there.